Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 11 of the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. We're recording this episode during unprecedented times, a pandemic, along with significant turmoil and social injustice. Please join me in gratitude for the frontline healthcare workers and other essential workers showing up, making a difference, and working tirelessly every day. We're taking time to listen and to hold people in our hearts as we navigate this tough time. So now, on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Rebecca Sneed, Becky, as she is known, and I are going to discuss many things, including her leadership experience and service to the profession of pharmacy. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Becky, and then also let her tell you about herself, her career, and her varied experiences in life and in general. Becky Sneed is the Executive Vice President and CEO of the National Alliance of State Pharmacy Associations, NASPA. She is passionate about participation, advocacy, and moving the profession of pharmacy forward in a collaborative way. Becky also serves on numerous boards of directors for various healthcare organizations. And I think one of the things that she is most proud of is her over 30 years of experience serving as a preceptor for many colleges and schools of pharmacy across the country. She has helped so many student pharmacists over the years develop their leadership skills. Becky, thank you for being here with me today. It's truly an honor, Melissa. I can't, I can't thank you enough for inviting me to join and uh, talk about what I'm passionate about. That is so cool. Well, before we get into your career experiences, can you talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and about your family? Absolutely. You make me smile when I think of my family. It's one of the most important things to my heart. I grew up in small rural America, uh, southeastern Virginia, the youngest of four. I had a father who had to retire when I was an infant due to severe rheumatoid arthritis. Back at the time when there were no disease-modifying agents, hint, my passion about how drugs work and why we didn't have drugs that would work. And while he did participate in many trials for remission-inducing agents during his lifetime, he really didn't live to experience today's world of biologics um, that we have to treat rheumatoid arthritis. My mother was a school teacher, hence my desire to be a constant student and teacher. Being the youngest of four, my closest sibling was three years older than I. And I think that what really stands out most in my childhood was when people asked me, you know, almost in sympathy, you know, well, you know, it must be so hard having a father that, you know, can't do the dad things. And I'm like, I'm the luckiest person in the world. I learned so much by being a caregiver from a very, very early age. In fact, when I went to school back in the country, you didn't have kindergarten, you didn't have preschool, so you started first grade, 
and I went to first grade and I had to be picked up a half day because I was just sobbing uncontrollably and everybody was like, okay, what's wrong? I go, there's nobody at home to help dad make lunch and I need to go home. <laughs> and so that's sort of the, the background of which I grew up and certainly um, was built the strong foundation that I think I feel today. You know, I love hearing about that. And I think for many people in healthcare, they do have some kind of family connection. But boy, yours started so early. And I love that you described the story of how, you know, diseases and dealing with um, chronic conditions has changed and evolved over the years. And that's with the biologics and rheumatoid arthritis. That's really something interesting and something to, to learn from. So I know in your life and in your career, you've had a lot of people who have been influencers to you or mentors or teachers. And you know, you and I both share a love of learning and lifelong learning. So tell me a little bit more about those people that had such an influence on you, your family, your mentors, and your teachers. Yeah, family without a doubt was my strongest influencer. However, when I think about the profession of pharmacy, I was, fortunate enough to get a job at the local pharmacy. Yes, the local pharmacy, the only pharmacy in the county. And I was the youngest and the longest string of Parker girls that worked behind the soda fountain. No one knew our first names. We were just a Parker girl. They knew it was a Parker behind the fountain. And, you know, it was there that I learned that the pharmacist was the caregiver of the community. And I knew that was the role that I wanted to stay in for the rest of my life. So Al Bradley was the pharmacist that owned Waverly Drugs, and he certainly was, was my first pharmacy mentor. But I grew up in a state that there were so many iconic leaders that were so generous with their time. And Melissa, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I can't possibly name them all, but there are a couple that just stand out for very different reasons. Eugene White, Remington medalist and the father of office-based pharmacy practice taught me to think outside the box, to push the profession, to never accept the status quo. Dan Herbert, a former APHA president, an iconic leader in Virginia, who responded every time I said, hey Dan, how's it going? I'm doing great. That positive outlook was what he taught me, and he really served as a father figure to me early in my career. Delegate Harvey Morgan, a pharmacist, legislator for over 32 years. He was a stickler for proper grammar, so he taught me how to copy edit my, my testimony to the General Assembly um, and to never, you know, never appear or deliver anything in writing that you didn't have somebody else look over it for you. Um, he's going to turn 90 this August. And he and his lovely bride, Mary Helen, are special people to me in my life today. And he and Mary Helen, even last year, sailed their sailboat down to the Caribbean from Virginia. Now, he now has and hires a captain to help him with his boat, but still the, the bravery that he taught me. Mary Ann Rollins, she's a former Frankie recipient, the first female president of EPHA, who I first met when she came to my senior pharmacy class to speak about women in pharmacy leadership. And the last one that I'll highlight is Paul Galante, 
who served his country as a fighter pilot for the Navy during the Vietnam War and served in, after his plane was shot down. He served as a POW, and I say serve because that's just the ultimate service to this country for nearly seven years. He was the executive director for Virginia Pharmacists Association when I graduated pharmacy school. He went on to lead the Medical Society when I was the executive director for the Virginia Pharmacist Association. And I experienced a new level of mentorship from him. Um, to this day, I cherish the time that we can go to lunch. And you know, he's still, he's still just as sassy as he possibly can be. And Melissa, I know you have your stories of Paul, but after I hear those, I'd like to share one of my own. Well, I so appreciate, you know, that you highlighted early in your career, really in your family life of working at a soda fountain and, you know, what happened in the pharmacy. And I, in Waverly, I think that just reinforces how accessible pharmacists are as a healthcare provider, you know, in the community. And when I knew you and I were going to be talking and I thought about influencers and, and people that were so interesting. I, you know, also reflected on Paul Galanti and I met him when I was the executive resident and, you know, you talked about his service, which is so extraordinary. And I remember um, when I was the APHA executive resident meeting him, I just felt like you were in the presence of greatness or someone who had been through something so significant, but he was so good about wanting to teach, you know, residents and student pharmacists and not in any way reflect on a really awful, difficult time and just look at things from a broader picture and had such optimism and hope. So that's kind of a takeaway that I have, but I would love to hear your story. Well, he is very much into technology and was from the time that they developed their own communication between cells at the Hanoi Hilton. Um, he was right beside the area where uh, Senator John McCain was. And so they would communicate via a, a modified Morse code. But he came back and just latched onto technology. And I had emailed him and said, hey, Paul, it's been a while. Let's go to lunch. And I didn't hear anything back from him. And I was worried. And about two months later, I get a response back from him. And he goes, hey, darling, I just got your email. That's so old, old school. Just text me if you want to get hold of me. And I'm like, okay. Oh, that's so I, great. That is I will, so great. I will, from, now, from now on, I'll text you. But yeah, um, he, he taught me to really embrace technology for sure, as well as many other life lessons. Oh, that is, that's just great. That's just as great. So one of the things that you have been fortunate to have in your life, that you were the 2008 recipient of the Gloria Nehemiah Frankie Leadership Mentor Award. So I remember that award was awarded in um, at APHA 2008 in San Diego. So tell me about what that was like for you when you received it, and why do you think mentoring future leaders is so important, and what does that look like for you? You know, that was the pinnacle of my career, and I, I said that night, and I'll say even today, that I, I feel like there could have been no greater recognition than the recognition of the Frankie Award. And you can only imagine how nervous I was delivering my remarks, which I labored over, with Gloria Frankie in the room, the First Lady of Pharmacy in the room. 
And I gave my remarks, got my award. And as I came down off the stage, I had to pass by the table, the head table that she was sitting at. And she stood up and she gave me the biggest hug and words of praise and encouragement. That's a memory that I will cherish forever. A motivator that is like none other. And Gloria, unfortunately, passed later that same year. And I think about how incredible it was for me to have that opportunity in the presence of greatness because she was a great leader. She was so all-inclusive. And I think about our current, um, you mentioned it in your intro, Melissa, the current unrest of you know, racial and social injustice. And, you know, Gloria would have been marching. Yeah, I, I have no doubt Gloria would have been marching. And I just have learned so much by studying her, her career, her passions, and her style of mentorship. So, you know, you asked a little, me a little bit about mentoring for me. And I, I really think it goes back to my roots. It's just caring for people. It's nothing planned or systemic. It's more organic. I've been amazed at the people that have come up to me and have said, you know, I remember when you came and spoke to us and you have been the greatest influencer on my career. And I'm like, how is that possible? How is that possible? And I think it's just caring, caring about others and their well-being. And you know, I, I take that back to my early days and the fact that unfortunate as it was, and if I could take all the pain and suffering that my father had when I was growing up away from him, I would, but I am the person that I am because I was raised in a family that had to endure that every single day. And yet we, we overcame and we survived and we are you know stronger because of it yeah the caring for people i love that and i love you know i think um mother teresa now saint teresa said it's you know the small acts the small acts of kindness that make such a difference and it's so great that that student or you know practitioner down the road did reflect to you of the influence that you had and i very much understand what you're saying how significant it was for gloria to be in the room and for you to embody you know the the life and the legacy and the leadership legacy that she had and I'm a Weaver medalist and having known Larry and Dee Weaver that the Drake Weaver medal is named for and that Dee was in the audience when I gave my lecture. Um, it was so meaningful. And I think for all of us too, you know, especially now that Gloria has passed on and Larry Weaver has passed on, if we can continue to tell their story and live the values that um, Gloria Frankie, you know, embodied that Lee, that Larry and Dee Weaver embodied and then hopefully you know, a generation to follow. We'll continue with that. But I, I agree with you. I think that's just so special and, you know, kind of taking it step by step. So thank you for sharing that story. That is really beautiful. You know, when I, when you and I opened and, and when we talked last week that we were, as we scheduled this, you know, we're in the middle of some tough stuff right now and tough stuff in healthcare, um, tough stuff in our, in our world, a global pandemic. 
and pharmacists are playing a really important role. And I know you as a leader with NASPA have been a catalyst related to the role that the states play and the state associations. So tell me a little bit more about what the last few months have been like working on that. It's been chaotic. It's been horrific. It's also been very enlightening and rewarding. Um, state pharmacy associations, which I firmly believe are the essential fabric to our profession, have demonstrated their critical and crucial role that they play in advocating for the profession. And I've never been so proud. I can tell you that the, the state execs have felt the pain of every practitioner that's out there that was afraid for themselves and their families as they practiced you know, in the early days without the proper protective equipment. State association execs have, have felt the anguish of pharmacists that were taking care of patients that unfortunately didn't make it. And I think that what they have shown me is that they not only reinforce my belief that they are the very essence of the fabric of our profession, but they have adapted to moving their operations virtual. They have encouraged and supported members, even with literally tears in their eyes and, and their heart wrenching, but standing strong and encouraging their profession and grounding them in what was necessary to be done for our patients. They have just really, really served as that advocate to make sure there was appropriate protective equipment, make sure that there was the appropriate authority to respond to the needs of their communities, and serving as a source of critical information that change daily and you know, committing themselves to to think outside the box, how to adapt from having a live meeting to a virtual meeting, how to engage, how to inform, how to comfort their members. And it is, it has truly been, it, it's so horrific when you're experiencing it, but when you look back, it's so beautiful to see what the state associations have done. And you know, I can tell you if, if anyone didn't believe in the importance of supporting their state pharmacy associations pre-COVID, pre-social and racial unrest that we have in this country today, then you, you really need to open your, your eyes and your hearts and, and, and your ears and just experience it because they have done remarkable you know, you touched on so many points when we kind of think about the last few months. <laughs> no, it it's like. a lot. It's like, oh, <laughs> it all comes it, out. It is a lot. And, and you know, a couple of like kind of things that, that resonated, and there were so many, but one was talking about um, and naming horrific, you know, how hard it was and for pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and frontline people to experience, you know, their patients that they serve experiencing this and especially you know drawing on the, the PP, PPE that wasn't available or you know there was just so much that needed to be we needed to try to um, figure out 
especially in the early days, and it was information that just changed so rapidly. And then I think the other piece is when we talk about essential, and you know, clearly accessible healthcare is essential, and we know that pharmacists from a public health standpoint are accessible. And you know, you talked about growing up in a rural area, and then even in the cities, having pharmacists and pharmacies available for for everyone is just really, really important. So, you know, I appreciate that you shared that and kind of talked about what it's been like going through it. And I also think that this time has caused all of us to reflect upon what can I do in my community? Um, and, and even when we were staying home, you know, what does that look like? What is the local impact? You know, is there a neighbor I can help? Does a neighbor need medicine? Can I just send a note to someone? Um, you know, all those kind of things. And so, yes, it's national and it's global, but it's local and it's, you know, people on your street and it's people um, that live, you know, one community over. So absolutely, thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you for sharing that and reminding us and also like the power of um, just trying to figure it out. You know, I mean, Kate and we were, and um, you and I were talking as we were getting started and you know, thinking about going to a virtual environment and, you know, when everyone went from a certain setup in a way that you knew how things worked and, you know, where we, I'm recording this today, sitting in my closet and, you know, there's just been a lot of change. You talked about virtual meetings. I know right now ASHP is having their summer meeting. The House of Delegates was virtual. So it's like a pivot and a shift. And, you know, there's going to be things that are going to not work during that, like in, during a Zoom call, someone's kid's going to come flying into the screen. So, you know, the resilience that I think people have shown to try to learn new things and embrace technology and figure out that sometimes it works great and sometimes it doesn't. You know, I was, I was on a call with the FDA and all of the national organizations, and I had a particular segment that they wanted me to highlight as it relates to threat shortages. And also, you know, inappropriate utilization or perhaps utilization of products that were not approved for certain conditions during the pandemic. And I'm talking and you know, my four-year-old puppy decided to, when I started talking, my voice, they heard and they get up right up in the camera with me. And oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is Natty. <laughs> say hi to Maddie. Okay, down. And I went on and I'm like, you know, you just embrace it. You just embrace it. Yeah, I think I think you have to. I think you have to. Well, we touched on this, but you know, with disruption and um, major change, it also provides opportunity. And I know that you um, see the good and see the light. And so, you know, I think there have been some silver linings. Um, groups have come together around a common goal. And you've been in pharmacy circles for a very long time, have been a, a, an established, important leader um, on the national scene. So talk to me about the spirit of coming together. You know, we've seen it. You, you touched on that you were just on a call. And I know the pharmacy organizations have talked about drug shortages, you know, COVID testing. And, you know, this pat, over the last few days, the national pharmacy organizations came together on a statement related to racial injustice and health equity. And so just tell me a little bit more about what your experience has been on all of that. I, I pause because it's been truly remarkable. And you have to understand the deliberate nature 
of getting consensus. And often within the national pharmacy organizations, particularly if you're getting the broad spectrum of many, many organizations, it may take months. In fact, in some cases, over a year to get consensus among all of the organizations and their leaderships. Within the past two and a half months, I have seen organized pharmacy move fast with sheer determination to be unified and all-inclusive. Um, the call to action identifying areas where the profession of pharmacy needed immediate action necessary for the public to benefit from pharmacists' um, unique skills, training, and accessibility during COVID was incredible. And I have to give a shout out to Chad Wartz at the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. He led that effort and still to this day is leading that effort. And it has been remarkable to see all of the national pharmacy organizations gathered together. But through that, we learned that we could get consensus in a week and we needed to get consensus in a week. And we, we needed to not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And it was remarkable. And then even more remarkable, I believe, in less than four days, four days, national organizations issued a statement calling the pharmacy profession to stand up against racial injustice and health inequities. And I have to thank Dr. Lakeisha Butler, president of the National Pharmaceutical Association, that used the infrastructure that we had developed which is a weekly, it used to be bi-weekly, but now a weekly call of all of the national pharmacy organizations to facilitate the need for there to be a statement. And it needed to be a statement of consensus among the national pharmacy organizations. And I'm not talking about two or three people agreeing. We had 14 organizations that signed on to the the statement that was released last week on racial and social injustice. And so it gives me great optimism, Alyssa, just great optimism that we can do it and we just need to make it a priority. And I have never been prouder, professionally proud for sure. You know, I, I think that is so profound and you know, a lesson of being able to move fast and that it doesn't have to be perfect and to figure out what good enough is and how you can get consensus. And, you know, I know that early on in the days with PTCB, when multiple organizations came together, I would talk to um, students and residents about this, that, and you, you know this, sometimes there would be disagreements on a topic related to a group's trying to work together and then everything would just fall apart. Like, you know, they were like, okay, we can't figure this out, we're done. And I think what you've described is so encouraging because it's a model then for moving forward. And you know, what's the North Star and what are we working towards? And I think it's really access and doing what's best for patients. And in the last few weeks, seeing that something needs to be done. And so I think it's really cool 
that pharmacy was able to use an infrastructure in place. And I, you know, really want to, you, you identified, you know, Chad and Lakeisha and say, express gratitude for people like that stepping up to say, because you, you and I both know that when you're rounding everyone up and getting people together and um, talking about sign off, uh, especially if processes in the past have taken very long time, it's driving the ship in a different way. So I just think that's remarkable. And I have to tell you that I've read, I've read those statements over the last couple of months and the one just from a couple of days ago and have shared that on my social channels and really feel that it was an important thing for all those organizations to do for healthcare, for the profession of pharmacy, but more importantly for society moving forward. So thank you. And I can tell you, I mean, I, I really think that future podcasts, hint, hint, you need to invite Chad and, and Lakeisha and do an interview with them. I also would say, you know, you could invite every single one of the national organizations boards in leadership to a podcast because we gave them less than 24 hours to review and edit and approve. And, you know, the staff of the national organizations that volunteer to shepherd that progress and get consensus are my heroes for sure. But if you think about the boards, the, they're, they're volunteer leaders that have full-time jobs that they're addressing. And to be able to say, yeah, I'd like to tweak this and this, but I can live with it. It was, yeah. it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I can't, I, I can't, I, I feel like I'm proud as a peacock. I, I mean, just like, we did it. We can do it. And I had never seen us do it before, but I, now I know that we can do it. We can do it about anything. You know, it's, it's possible. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. That is really cool. And I ap appreciate those tips about future episodes. I had seen that Lakeisha was on CBS Evening News talking about, you know, this topic and health um, equity and health disparities. And so I actually had reached out to her and said, hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And she's interested. So I've got that in the works. And I love the idea of connecting with Chad, too, and some of the others, because it's been significant and, you know, really, really important work. And I'd like to lift it up to my listeners. So throughout our discussion today, We've talked about some of the tough things over the last couple of months, and there's really been many. You know, there's been um, things canceled. There's been people critically ill. There's been so many people that have passed away from COVID. We've had these stay home orders. Things, you know, commencements haven't happened. Classes moved to online. And so there's, you know, really um, grief during all of this and difficulty with loss and uncertainty. So I want to check in with you, like, how are you doing and what has kind of helped you through this time? Because as you described it, it's parts of it have been horrific. So personally, it's been a challenge. You know, both of my parents, unfortunately, are deceased, but my in-laws are not. And, you know, worrying about them, worrying about all of our extended family or friends or neighbors that have health issues. So on a personal level, you know, it, the COVID has been a challenge, you know, transitioning from working really long days to days where the blending into each, they just blend into each other. I think, you know, the unrest in the nation over the last 
week to 10 days has been personally as a mom been more emotionally tolling, telling, tolling, whatever. I don't know. It's been hard. Um, you know, my son is a, you know, in college and has been a student athlete all of his life and has best friends from birth on have been United Nations, just all inclusive. You know, he was determined he was going to take German because his, you know, his best friend was born in Germany, but of an American soldier who happened to be stationed in Germany and came back and lived in Alabama before they moved to Virginia. And so you've got this, you know, what you would traditionally consider a black American that speaks with a German accent. And, you know, that's, that's my son's world. And there's no color, there's no disparities in his life, um, you know, or his, his, his vision. And the emotional toll that he has taken over the last 10 days and seeing the impact in the discussions that have gone on and, and seeing it through a young adult's lens in today's world has been really hard for me personally. I think that the way that we've managed, my husband and I, is that we have two dogs, both have tremendous needs. Um, so we get distracted with those, even though we don't have a kid in the house anymore. We are so blessed that we have a river house. And so anytime I can see the water, I'm at peace. And I have, you know, a beautiful yard and garden to mend when I'm down there and, you know, tend to. And it is sort of my therapy. I think the NASPA team, you know, it's been hard. You know, their uncertainty, will they have a job? You know, how do I work from home? My child doesn't have daycare. I've got to bridge working from home and taking care of my children, you know, my child or children. How do you reinforce them, support them, give them the confidence that they know that you appreciate the work that they're doing and you're flexible enough to know that it may not get done during a traditional nine to five time frame. You know, and seeing the adjustments that all of our, you know, our members have had to do, primarily the State Pharmacy Association execs, and also transitioning home and the competing priorities that they have, and yet the remarkable, just, just remarkable ability to stand up and do, you know, work that I would have just, I mean, I just applaud them. They've done an amazing job. Uh, NASPA's been hosting a virtual coffee hour every other week on Fridays just to have a place to vent and share and get a little bit of that grounding in people that are going through the same thing that you're going through, maybe slightly different, but has been really, really important. So, you know, I think that personally, our team, as well as all of the other state pharmacy association execs, have learned 
how to adapt and be vulnerable. And I say that in a very positive way. I think the strongest people I know show their vulnerability and don't hide away from don't you know don't shy away from it they share it and then the family just comes and family i'm putting in air quotes but you know family comes and supports them yeah for sure i think the the zoom connections the check-ins and how you're really doing you know has helped a lot of people to navigate and like you um for me being in nature has been really important. Um, I, I love to walk outside. And it was something I did, you know, for years when I lived in DC, used to walk in Alexandria and Arlington and downtown DC under the trees. And that just gave me hope. And I feel now um, walking, we have a lot of oaks that are 100 plus years old and um, being around there or being around water, I think is very calming and getting out. And I, I find that if I don't, get out or you know when you were saying the days were blurring together and things like that and you know sometimes you're on too many zoom calls or meetings or whatever and you know then your world it's just for me that's very makes me then I think oh gosh I have to and whether it's watering plants or you know taking care of um, it, it felt like this year our peonies were some of the most beautiful flowers that we've ever had and I just think that absorbing the nature is is just important um, and it's given me a lot of comfort couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I've always, I've always had a garden that I've like, and, and always, you know, had lots and lots of flowers in my yard, but I'm on steroids this year. It's yeah. like yeah. putting more things in the ground, you know, it's like. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm actually, cause we have hundreds of peony blossoms, but this year I made a conscious decision to actually cut them and bring them in the house yep. and make arrangements. Like, you know, and in the past, I would go outside and I'd look at them or when I was driving to wherever, you know, this culture of busyness we've had, we had before. So I, I think that's been um, interesting. Well, as we wrap up, a question that I typically ask everyone is, you know, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? You know, I, I think that this has been one of the hardest in anticipation, but then I, I reflected back of many, many, many talks that I have given, and I always landed on the following. You either lead, you follow, which is just as important as leading, or either you get left behind if you can't adapt. And I think the profession of pharmacy, I think personally, in whatever areas or aspects of your life, you have to either lead, follow, or get left behind. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, Becky, thank you um, for your time today and you know sharing your insights. This was just really, really a great experience. This is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. To everyone listening, please subscribe to our show and follow me, Melissa Muir Corrigan, on social media. Um, I want to say a special shout out to Kate Cruz, our producer with Executive Podcast Solutions, and thanks for listening. Thank you, Melissa.